The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. Now, before I get to my message, if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 14, verse 15. We're going to read a few verses here out of the parable of the Great Supper. And if these verses sound familiar, there are similar accounts in Luke chapter 19 and also Matthew chapter 22. Now, these are three different occasions, but Lord Jesus Christ is going over the same ideals. And indeed, this would be a good subject for a sermon. Maybe the Lord would move me to preach that in a few weeks. But of course, this is for Brother Adam and Sister Hannah, giving them a shout out. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. When one of them sat, that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto them, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said unto him, This is our Lord, Master, Savior, Jesus Christ. A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste my supper. And much to go over in this, but this is a prophecy of how the Jewish people would reject Jesus Christ, all except for some of the very poor. And it's also a prophecy of how the Gentiles would be brought into the church, Gentiles being the non-Jews. Gentiles would be us. Very much to go into in that preaching. Tempted to go ahead and just preach it, but the Holy Spirit's leading me in a different direction. But I'm sure you know why I'm shouting out Brother Adam and Sister Hannah. Because one of the excuses that some of the Jewish people made, it says, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. My pastor says, what better time is there to be in church than right after you've gotten married? So many of you know that Brother Adam and Sister Hannah got married last Saturday, and they came in late last night from their honeymoon trip. And where are they this morning? Here in church, in the Lord's house, at the Lord's day. I thank God for your service to his church and to Macedonia. Thank y'all for being here. Because each and every one of us, we could be doing something else this morning, could we not? I think, I think of many reasons why I should be somewhere else or why I could be somewhere else. We all should be here. But certainly, we can all make excuse for not coming to church. So I thank each and every one of you and God for being here this morning. Now, if you would, turn with me to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. 
And it's, consequently, some of the comments I made are going to lead in to this psalm. Now, we, as I said before, we had a wonderful singing service. And Jesus has promised us where the two or three are gathered in my name, there I shall be in the midst of them. So we are gathered here today in the name of Jesus Christ to honor and glorify God. And how do we do that? Well, Jesus Christ said himself, he that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father. So if we honor the Son, Jesus Christ, we're going to be honoring God the Father. So rest assured of that. And yes, he is honored, he is glorified, he is magnified when we meet in his house together in a common assembly, young and old. We need everybody in the church. That's why Paul compares the church to a human body. Each part of the human body has a purpose. And when one part of that body is lacking, the whole body suffers. Just like when one person in a congregation in the church is not here, the whole church suffers. Brother Joel's not here. Sister Marie's not here. We need these examples of these older men, godly men and women in the church to look up to. Just like we need the young people in the church, where they be two. That was your son now, two? Almost two. Almost two. How about that? It's wonderful. Whether it's two years old, whether we have some sisters in the back that are, what, four and six? Close. I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has a role in the church, young and old. Doesn't matter if you're two months, two years, 20 years, or 90 years. We all have a purpose in the church. And one of the purposes is when we come together in a common assembly is to sing. Many of you have very beautiful singing voices. I do not. That's okay. I love to sing. I love music. God has not given me that gift. But even so, we're commanded to sing. So what I'm going to do with him with Psalm number 95, I'm going to read through it all and then go back verse by verse and make comments. And this psalm is very similar to Psalm 100, if you hear some parallels. Psalm number 95, we'll start at verse 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our Lord, or excuse me, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter my rest. Now, from a first appearance, you might think, well, Brother Morgan, what does the first half have to do with the latter half? Seems like the psalmist has changed subjects. It appears that way, but he has not. We'll get to that. Now, as I said earlier, we're here to worship God. And one of the ways we do that is by singing. And it's important that we do sing, and it's even more important what we sing. 
Now, if you've heard me preach before, you've heard me quote this verse, I intend to keep quoting it. This is going to be Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, when it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with what from the heart? I'll let, I'll let the congregation fill in the blanks. Singing with what from the heart? Singing with grace from the heart. It's not important how we sound. It's important that we sing and that we sing from the heart with grace. Wouldn't you agree? And how did that grace get in your heart? God has to put it there. It's put in your heart sovereignly in a new birth. Now, as many of you have readily observed today and over the year, through the, out the years, I'm one of those people that have to make a joyful noise when I sing. But I still love to do it, doing it. But our heart has to be right. Psalm 61 says, The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is of the Lord or by the Lord. God is concerned with the status of our hearts. What we say, what comes out of our mouth, needs to reflect what's in our heart. That's what Jesus Christ said to those wicked Pharisees when he said, don't you understand, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. So our lifestyle, our conduct, needs to reflect that we, our hearts have been changed, that that stony heart that we have has been taken away, and that we've been given a heart of flesh. And that conduct, obviously, we should conduct ourselves like that in the house of God, but it should be apparent by the way we live, by our lifestyle, that we are Christians, yea, that we are primitive Baptists. And I'm preaching to myself on this, on this subject, that when we go, it's easy to be a good Christian, it's easy to be a good primitive Baptist when we're in the house of the Lord, isn't it? When we're around our brothers and sisters in Christ who love each other, who love us, who will provoke each other to good works, who will help keep us accountable. But it gets much harder when we leave the house of God and go into this wicked world, doesn't it? That's when we need to remember Psalm 119, I believe it's verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against thee. We're out there in this world away from our brothers and sisters in Christ when Satan and his minions, the world, yea, our own flesh, when it tempts us, that's when we need to remember God's word. That's when we need to remember that we are born-again children of God, that grace has been mercifully bestowed upon us in our hearts, and we need to live our lives honoring of that fact. That's why Paul told the church at Rome, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So yes, let us come before the Lord with singing. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, when it says make a joyful noise, yes, that's what I attempt to do each and every Sunday, and really each and every day. We're to sing, not only in the church, obviously, but outside the church as well. And what we sing is important, like I quoted from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. What we sing has to be doctrinally sound because we're teaching and admonishing one another with that. So I know that, I believe this is a centennial edition of the old school hymn that we're singing from, right? We know every so often, I don't know if it's every 15, 20 years, could be longer, maybe no set amount of time. Uh, sometimes hymn books will be updated. Some songs were taken out, some are added. And there's a committee that goes by and reviews all songs to make sure that 
the lyrics are doctrinally sound, whether it's been hymns that have been formally in the book or whether there are hymns, newer hymns in the book like this one. Now, praise be to God that he's raised up young and old in the Primitive Baptist Church that do have a musical talent that can create music in praise and honor of our Lord. And many of those songs are from people that you well know in this area of Mississippi and Alabama and Florida and Georgia now that Elder Bryce is in Georgia. But what we sing is important because we have to teach one another. And if we're teaching one another with our hymns, then it has to be doctrinally sound. Amen. Now, let us, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, when we sing, obviously I love hearing your beautiful voices singing, but you're not, even though, yes, we are in one sense singing to one another, right? But where is our praise directed? It's directed upward, isn't it? We're singing to God. We're singing to Jesus Christ, who is the rock of our salvation. Is it a man? Is it a preacher? Is it an archbishop? Is it the pope? Is it some other guru? Who is the rock of our salvation? It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And it's kind of strange to me, a little side note, that so many people in this world get confused on this simple question. Who is the rock of our salvation? In the Old Testament and New Testament, this is a slam dunk who it is. Numerous times in the Old Testament, it talks about God being our rock of salvation. Oh, let us flee to the rock that is higher than I. God is my rock, my salvation, my strong tower, the horn of my salvation. From Psalm 18, on and on it goes. And in the New Testament, Jesus Christ himself and the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, over and over again, they alluded how Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. He is the chief cornerstone. Well, one question I posed to congregations recently is, can you give me a scripture or a number of scriptures that are quoted the most in the New Testament? Pretty interesting question, isn't it? Now, there are certain books that are quoted more in the New Testament than others, certain chapters in the Old Testament that are quoted in the New Testament more than others. But I'm talking about just a specific verse. Can you think of any that are quoted multiple times? Well, I'll give, you, I'll give an easy one first. Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted at least three times in the Bible. The just, the just shall live by faith, quoted three times in the New Testament. The verse I'm getting at is also quoted at least three times in the New Testament. It's alluded to other times. And that is Psalm, I believe it is Psalm 118, verse 21. The stone that the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Many people might know the verse after it. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Why is it that we can rejoice and be glad in this particular day? Because Jesus Christ is a rock of our salvation. He is that chief cornerstone. He's also a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to some. He's also that tried, precious cornerstone as well. So when Jesus said, when he told Peter that 
Oh, I'm going to back up and say, when Jesus posed that question, when he said, who do men say that I am? You know, the disciples say, some say that thou art Elias, some say that thou art Jeremiah, some say that thou art John the Baptist. But Jesus Christ asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And what did the apostle Peter say? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And I love this, this saying that our master told the apostle Peter. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but by my Father, which is in heaven. How did Peter know that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God? The Holy Spirit put it there, put that knowledge in him. How do we know it? The same way. You know, the purpose of the preaching is not to change people's hearts. We can't do that. We can put it in people's minds. You as parents, as grandparents, you can put the Word of God in your children's mind, in your children's brain. You can't put it in a heart. But once God changes our heart in a new birth, then can the spiritual knowledge intersect with the intellectual knowledge, and then we can praise God properly at that point. That makes sense? So we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, just like the Apostle Peter, just like the saints in the Old Testament had faith, they got their faith just like we got our faith in a new birth. But Jesus told Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And he said, Upon this rock shall I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What rock is that? Himself, his profession that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If Jesus Christ is not who he claimed to be, we don't have a church. We don't have faith. We don't have hope. My preaching is vain. Your service to God is vain if Jesus Christ is not the Son of the living God. If he's not in a resurrected body, sitting on the right hand of God, making intercession for his saints, the people who he foreloved before the foundation of the world, if he's not doing that right now, then what we're doing is vain. But praise be to God, that's not the case. He is an arisen, glorified, immortal body, sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for me and you every day. I mean, Jesus Christ is doing that for me, for you, for everybody he loves in the whole world. Yeah. That's why we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy in times of need because he ever lived to make intercession for his saints. That is the rock of our salvation. And that's a comfort, isn't it? To know that no matter how bad we mess up, no matter how downcast we can be, we've got a direct line to heaven from our spirit to the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ to God the Father. Now, it's a very simplified way of, of explaining it, but it gets the point across. And we're never going to come to him in prayer, and whenever we get God's secretary or Jesus' secretary say, Oh, I'm sorry, God's busy, please hold. Now, of course, now it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Because we worship an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God who loves us. Loves us so much that he sent his son to become the rock of our salvation, to send his son to die for his chosen people, his elect people, his sheep. We're going to get to that in a moment. And never forget, Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation.
Let us come, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. There it is again, make a joyful noise. That the Hebrew word, Hebrew phrase in there has reference to shouting. Now, I've been in the Primitive Baptist Church for a short time compared to some of you. I've never actually heard somebody shout in church before. But I've heard people people tell me about it. Well, I take that back. I've heard I've heard one preacher shout twice in a meeting. I'll take that back. Y'all I won't mention any names. You probably have heard of them. But we should have that zeal. We should have that fervent desire to serve God to where the Holy Spirit that indwells us gives us that spirit to praise God. It gives us that heart to praise God. We've got a song in our hymns, O for heart to praise my God. And sometimes, and not everybody has to do this because we're all different. We all show our praise, our adoration, our worship in different ways. And that's all right because we're each different. But if you have a tendency to yell or want to yell, I say let her rip. Make that joyful noise. You know, if something's mentioned in the once in the Bible, it's important. If it's mentioned twice, we should pay particularly attention to it. If it's mentioned three times, then an old redneck, hard-headed or bull-headed country boy like me knows it's important. But yes, we're commanded to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let us com come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Now, when it means come into his presence, certainly that means come into his church. We come into his church with hearts, praising him, offering thanksgiving. That just means giving praise to God, thanking him for what he has done for us. Now, we know that God is omnipresent. That means everywhere present, nowhere absent. So yes, how we conduct ourselves, as I alluded to before, how we praise him should not change versus in the church and outside the church. But this does have the connotation of the Old Testament Jews coming into his temple, coming into his manifest presence as it was. And certainly that carries over to the New Testament church. You know, when I said we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore. The law has been completely fulfilled. Every jot, every tittle. That, in English terms, that means every I has been dotted, every T has been crossed. So praise God, I don't have a brazen altar in front of me that I'm not having to sacrifice bullocks, goats, pigeons, turtle doves, lambs, etc. It's a bloody business. And I'm glad I don't have to do it. But it was appropriate for those Hebrew priests, the Hebrew people, to sacrifice those animals because it pointed to Jesus Christ. Every single specified offering in the Old Testament pointed us to Jesus Christ. And you know what? Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of those sacrifices during his life, his ministry, and his death on the cross. So that's why we offer the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice now. You know, oftentimes, pagans in the Old Testament and pagans now, yes, there are pagans now, they offer sacrifices to their God in order to get something. Like my pastor says, maybe they want a higher corn yield, maybe they want fatter hogs, maybe they want a boyfriend, girlfriend, 
Maybe they want material goods, riches, whatever it is. They're offering something to their God, little g God, in order to get something. That's not so with Christians. At least not if we're thinking right. We offer our sacrifices of praise in recognition for what God has already done for us. And we thank Him for it. We live a life honoring Him and appreciation for it because we can't make God any more God than He already is. We can't make Him any more powerful. We can't make Him any more wiser. We can't make Him any more richer. We can't make God any more God than He already is. So yes, we do need to have that mindset. That's why every day should be Thanksgiving for the Christian, especially old Baptists who know that we are saved by sovereign grace, period. And we should be the most thankful and joyful people there, there is. And we should seek to impart that joy, impart that knowledge to other people by spreading the gospel to evangelize, not to make children of God, not to save anybody from hell to heaven, but no, to tell people what Jesus Christ has done already, to say, hey, come and see to Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church. Come and see at Five Mile Church. Come and see at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. Come and see at Grace Primitive Baptist Church. Come and see what? Simple worship of a sovereign God. I like how ministers, uh, I'm not sure who coined that phrase, but I like it. When describing how we worship God, simple worship of a sovereign God. I like that, don't you? Psalm 95, verse 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above other gods. I'm going to make a slight digression here as I attempt to explain this verse. For the Lord is a great God. Now, if you have a Bible, keep good old King James Bible, Lord is going to be in all small caps. That is the covenant name Jehovah. And then God is the Hebrew word Elohim, also means mighty ones. That Hebrew word is plural. Let me read the verse to you again. For Jehovah is a great Elohim and a great king above all gods. Now, you recall that in the Old Testament, God abhors idolatry. He hates idols. There are still idols here today in this world. They're not only little wooden, carven, stone idols, maybe somebody on, on somebody's shelf somewhere. In Mideastern religions, you still have that. But now we have more idols of the mind than anything else. An idol is anything that displaces God in our lives, that directs our attention and our praise away from God to something else. That something else is an idol. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, and still, and still in present times, particularly in Hinduism, that there would be these pagan deities. It could be Chemosh, could be, be Moloch, could be Baal, could be Ashtaroth, Isis, Tiamat. Just go down the list, there are multitudes of them. Zeus, Mercury, Apollo, Ares, Neptune, Poseidon. I'm sure, I'm sure we could all recall uh, these childhood mythical stories that we enjoyed. I certainly enjoyed them when, as a child. But oftentimes there would be idols of those little G-gods that they would have. And they would pray to them. They would offer sacrifices to them. 
Sometimes they would even offer human sacrifices, their own children. That's not pleasant to think about, is it? That's one of the biggest reasons that the Hebrew people got in trouble and were expelled from their lands, both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, because they were offering their children, sacrificing their children to devils. The pagan gods, Moloch, Chemosh, Baal. And you might say, well, Brother Morgan, that's not pleasant to think about. What point are you making? We understand the idol is nothing. But there was always a devilish, demonic power behind those idols. Psalm 116 says as much. Paul says as much in Hebrew, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that what the Gentiles offer to are sacrifices to devils. And those devils are still active in the world. And we need to be aware of that. We said, why do we need to be aware of that, Brother Morgan? Because we're not to be ignorant of Satan and his devices. And the primary word and the primary way we combat those evil spirits is by the word of God. I'm sure you all heard sermons on Ephesians chapter 6 before, haven't we? Before we take on the whole armor of God, how are you going to defend against a spirit? Yeah, it doesn't matter how many guns we have. It doesn't matter how physically powerful we are. No, we are to rely on the power of God, Jesus Christ, to defend against these evil spirits. Amen. But that's why the psalmist is making particular attention to this verse. For the Lord, Jehovah, is a great Elohim, and a great king above all other gods. Now, he's not ruling these other gods, these other spirits, these evil spirits, administering out, controlling them. No, he's just saying, the psalmist is saying, that our God, Jehovah, is so much greater, so much more powerful than we can even conceive. He's that much higher than these little g gods. Does that make sense? Good, good. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all other gods. And since he's so great, he is deserving of our praise. It is our obligation to serve God. It is our obligation to take up our, Christ, our, our cross and follow after Jesus Christ. It is our obligation to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It is our duty to assemble in a common assembly and worship. It is our duty. We are compelled to do it. But we don't do it because it's our duty. We don't do it because we are compelled. We do it out of a thankful heart, a thankful spirit. That's why we serve the Lord with gladness. That's why we come before his courts with thanksgiving and singing in recognition of what he has done for us. Yes, it's our duty, but you recall what I said earlier. He's concerned about the status of our hearts more than what we outwardly say or outwardly do. You know, Jesus time and time again criticized the Pharisees for that very purpose. Yes. I, I believe this verse is quoted twice in the New Testament. Well, I know it's quoted twice, maybe more. And this is going to be Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. When Hosea told those wicked Jews in the northern kingdom of Israel, he said, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What does God desire from us? Mercy. Knowing more about him, what he has done for us, that's what he wants. He wants our hearts to be right, and he wants our actions to reflect that what's in our heart. And because he's such a great God, he expects that from us, and we should be 
serving him willingly. That's why Psalm 110 verse 3 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Now, yes, it's talking about being born again. Yes, it's talking about the resurrection. But it's also talking about us being willing and able to serve him in whatever way he's called us to serve him. Verse 4. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands form the dry land. So the psalmist has just alluded how God is a great God. Above all other gods. He's a great king. Now, you recall these other pagan deities, each they had usually had their own speciality, something they ruled over. Maybe they ruled over the sea. Maybe they ruled over the day. Maybe they ruled over the night. Maybe they ruled over the underworld. And all these pagan philosophies and ways of thinking. Not so with our God. One God expressed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. This has a sense of everything that's under the earth. I don't know, many, maybe you have worked in the oil fields perhaps, or maybe you've dug a water well. Now we can only drill so deep. We're limited by our technology. God's not limited in either way. He fills heaven and he fills the earth. Part of him, of his omnipresence, being everywhere present, nowhere absence. The deep places in the earth are in his hand. The strength of the hills is his also. <laughs> Preach it, brother. I'll take that as an amen. <laughs> well, you know, there's a little spiritual song I'm sure we all heard when we were a child in school. You know, he's got the whole world in his hand. I think I've got the tune right. I won't spare you. I'll spare you all from any more of that. But those songs are appropriate to sing. Of course, children can remember them, set it to a catchy little tune, and it's theologically right. Yes, he has the whole world in his hands. But you know what else is in his hands? Our names. Our names are engraved in his palms. And that's something to think about, and that's the point that the psalmist is trying to make, that this great God, this Jehovah Elohim, Lord God, not only did he create the heaven, create the heavens, create the earth, but he created us as well. He loves us as individuals. It's amazing to think about that the God who created the whole universe, something I can't, I can't imagine, loves me and loves you individually. And that should spur us to action, to praise him better. In his hands are the deep places. The strength of the hills is his also. This has the connotation of mean, meaning the treasure in the hills, the silver, the gold. You, know, you can't make God any richer because he created everything. You know, while we think gold is precious, silver is precious, diamonds are precious, it's just created material to the Lord. One day all that's going to be burned up as well. That's why we are set our affections on things above and not things below. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So not only is he, did he make the deep places of the earth, he made the dry land. He made the sea. He made it all. He is creator God. You know, we belong to God in multiple ways, but one way is that he is our creator God, not only of all natural life, but spiritual life as well. Remember, you recall 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a old creature, former creature. 
No, brethren, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. What does that mean? When he creates our spirit sovereignly in a new birth, changes our heart, all things are different in our perception. We can now thank God for this, his sunshine, for the beautiful weather that we observe. We can thank him for the rain. We can thank him for our material blessings we have. And more importantly, we can praise him and honor him for those spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ in heavenly places. It's all things renew in our perception. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Who made the earth? God did. Who made the stars? God did. Who made our physical bodies? God did. What about our spirit, our soul? God made that. He is creator God. And notice verse six, what comes next? This is the response to verses 1 through 5. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's the psalmist's response in verse 6 to what we've gone over in verse 1 through 5. He recognized that God is creator. He recognized that God is worthy of praise. He's higher than all these other little g gods. And what is his response? Let us bow down. Let us worship him. Now, we can kneel down. I'm sure you see many elders kneel when they pray. Deacons, that's certainly appropriate. You see some people sitting down and kind of hunched over bowing down. That's appropriate because that is showing that we are, that we are giving praise and honor to a being higher than ourselves. Yeah. While we don't bow down to human beings, we don't, certainly don't bow down to idols. We're made in the image of God. We don't bow down to other created things. We bow down to the God who created us. That's how we show reverence. It's appropriate to do that. Now, you don't see it very often for Christians who pray, who would actually get on their knees and bow down to the floor. I'm sure you've seen Muslims do that prayer. It's the same thought. That certainly would be appropriate for us to do because, yes, Jesus Christ did condescend in the flesh. He is a human being. He's in a resurrected, glorified body now. He is a friend of publicans and sinners. I don't know about you, old Brother Morgan's a bad sinner. I need a friend. But he's also Almighty God, worthy of our praise, worthy for us to bow down to him in reverence. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. So you see that even in these shorter Psalms, how theological deep they can be. Who is our maker? Who is our creator? God, Jehovah Elohim. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Who are, who are the sheep? Good old Baptist knows the answer to this question. You know, in the Old Testament, when it referred to the sheep of his pasture, it was referring specifically to the Hebrew people. And I mean the Hebrew people, I mean the physical descendants of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. But luckily, we interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. Now, I love preaching from John chapter 10. I love hearing sermons from John chapter 10. That's the great sheep sermon where Jesus Christ said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd offers his life to the sheep. You know better than that, brother. The good shepherd giveth his life to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. 
and am known of mine. And that knowing there is not just an intellectual knowledge. God knows that about everybody. When it talks about knowing his sheep, his elect people, he's talking about loving them in a most intimate way. Like husbands and wives. When Adam knew his wife Eve, that same sense, a very deep, intimate love, that's the love God has for his people. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Much preaching in that. But who are his sheep? His elect people. Out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And for he has redeemed himself a multitude out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. Those are his sheep, his elect people, those who he foreknew, those that he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. So important for us to recognize who is our maker? God. Who is our shepherd? Jesus Christ. Who are his sheep? His elect people. You know, I left out one key sheep verse from John chapter 10. I'm not going to be able to quote it all, but I'll get the idea to you. Jesus Christ said, And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. One shepherd being Jesus Christ, one fold being the church. Now, we don't have a separate church for men. We don't have a separate church for women. We don't have a separate church for Jews after the flesh and that are the elect people. We don't have a separate church for Gentiles. We don't have a separate church for black people, for white people. No, we have one church for all the sheep, for all the elect people. <laughs> I've even heard, maybe y'all have seen this before. I guess this was just a tradition run amok in the old Baptist church from years ago. But I've heard it reported that some churches would have men sitting on one side of the church and women would sit on the other side of the church. I've never seen that. I've heard it. Have y'all heard or seen that before? Kind of strange. I guess, you know, bad tradition, what have you. Now, I've seen that we have deacons sit in amen corner sometimes away from their families. But anyway, yeah, we don't have segregated churches. We, we all know that. Young, old, male, female, black, white, whatever color you are, one church, one fold, one shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And who determines who is a sheep and who is a goat? Can a goat certainly decide that, hey, I'm tired of being a goat. I want to be a sheep. No, of course not. That decision was made before the foundation of the world. Now, if we had time, we'd, of course, go to Ephesians chapter 1, which we all know, good old Baptist doctrine. We all need to hear it. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Who made that decision? Who are the goats and who are the sheep? God the Father. He chose to have mercy, had to bestow his grace and his love on some and withhold it for others. And he made that as a sovereign decision before the foundation of the world. Brother Morgan, why? I can't answer that. One of those things we take on faith. I tell you what the Bible says. I believe it on faith. 
He had his reasons. He's a sovereign God. Those, the Bible doesn't say why. wasn't because of any obedience or any good deed that we have done because why would you need to predestinate something that he already knows is going to happen? You wouldn't. And plus, we can't do anything to honor God, to praise God. We can't do a good deed out of our good heart until God changes that corrupt nature, until he changes that heart. And you'll notice in Matthew chapter 25 that that's a great judgment scene, that the sheep and the goats are separated before the judgment. That runs contrary to the thinking of the world, the Christian world. But praise be to God that he has shown us mercy and grace and love in an eternal sense, but also in a temporal sense. That's why we can come before him in prayer for Brother Joel, for Brother Greg, for these other concerns that we have on our hearts. And it pleases God for us to come to him in prayer and supplication because it shows our dependence on him. It shows that we are in need of his temporal blessings, his temporal favor, his temporal love, his mercy. Because we all want mercy, don't we? Undeserved forgiveness. We all want grace and undeserved favor. We don't want what we deserve. Now you hear that oftentimes in the world, just give me what I deserve. Old Baptists know better than that. Because what do all humans deserve by nature? A burning hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Another reason for us to come down, to come into the house of the Lord, to bow down to worship God, to approach him with joyful hearts, with thanksgiving, because considering what he has saved us from, a burning hell for eternity. Yes, hell is exists. It's a real place. It is eternal. The suffering of the wicked is eternal. He has saved us from that to heaven and mortal glory, to be with his son, Jesus Christ, forever. Now, if that doesn't cause us to approach him with thanksgiving and with thankful hearts, I don't know what will. And so in closing, I certainly do appreciate each and every one of y'all being here today. I hope uh, what I've said has been uplifting, edifying, and can help us or give us the an ideal to press forward to as we leave the church to continue to be more thankful for what God has done for us that we can live a life honoring to Jesus Christ by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, that we can make a joyful noise even if we have no singing talent like Brother Morgan. Yeah, it was funny, wasn't it, brother? It's true. I laugh at myself all the time. Amen, brother. <laughs> Indeed. But yes, let us all strive to love each other better, to provoke each other with good works, to thank God for what he has done for us. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.